This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. This week, we spoke with Ori Freeman, a survivor of child sex trafficking. We wanted to talk to her as law enforcement ramped up for another Super Bowl weekend. And typically, law enforcement in recent years has said in the Super Bowl host city that human trafficking can and does increase around large sporting events like the Super Bowl. While the evidence on that is questionable and those who follow trafficking incidents say the proof doesn't seem to support an uptick in trafficking during the Super Bowl, activists and nonprofits highlight the vile crime at this time. Freeman, who was trafficked in Los Angeles beginning at the age of 11, following instances of childhood abuse, said on the day we interviewed her that trafficking would be 10 times worse that night than the night of the Super Bowl. She shares her story and her experiences now working as an advocate and working with law enforcement on trafficking cases. She says it's a crime that is increasing. People have grown callous to it and she's worried. We often have to cut interviews down for time during the week, but we thought you might like to hear this full interview. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Weekday Rundown podcast if you haven't already. Now, here's Ori Freeman on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Ori, give me your name on the record and what title you want us to use for you. What do you want us to call you? Okay. My name is Ori Freeman and my title is advocate, activist, and survivor of child sex trafficking. Ori, we obviously don't always hear about trafficking, right? It's not typically front page news, but um, I want you to sort of characterize for us how bad it is out there and how often it happens. I know you're in this world and so it's what you focus on. So, you know, a hammer sees a nail, right? But how do you begin to educate people about what really is happening out there, especially for those of us who really don't understand how often it's happening? Well, I think the first thing is that people have to be willing to, for their hearts and minds to be changed because human trafficking and child sex trafficking has been happening for decades um, and even centuries and the things that have happened. And we're in a culture today that it's becoming more, and I can honestly speak this with boldness, that it's becoming more acceptable, that people are actually starting to believe more and more or that it's a choice for these children and even a lot of the women and the men and the victims that are out there um, because of popular culture, like things that we see in the media, whether the TV and a lot of the realities are being like, definitely the stories are being told completely different than what it really is. Um, a lot of it is being glorified through media and stuff versus the after effects. You know, although the Super Bowl is going on, I think my my primary thing of what I'm really afraid of is the after effects that happen. You know, for someone that has been trafficked in Los Angeles County, especially during popular events timing, it's not necessarily the events that take place in that timing um, that makes it worse. It's the after effect. You know, you coming into a city where. Right now, law enforcement is trying the best that they can be because our district attorney's office in Los Angeles cases are not being filed and they're not being prosecuted. So men and women who are trafficking these victims, especially children, are literally going to the station and getting out within a couple of hours and getting a citation. Um, and that's because of a lot of the protests, a lot of the things that the public is asking for instead of being specific on what we need. Um, so the first thing is like definitely of people being willing to open up their hearts and like change their minds about it. 
um, you know, growing up as a as a Los Angeles resident in well, majority of my whole life. Um, I remember walking down the street, Century Boulevard, or whether it was Figueroa or whether if it was in Long Beach, you know, and even walking across community, walking in front of like community departments or whether it was, you know, the whether if it's a social work building, whether if it's the church, whether if it's a local restaurant and nobody said anything. And I think the really important thing is what people don't really want to accept is that nobody, yeah, this big old Super Bowl thing, but nobody is driving all the way from, you know, Orange County or flying in from Miami to buy sex and buy children, buy sex from children in Los Angeles. It's the home. It's our it's homegrown. It's the people right here in our backyard that's doing right. it. Um, and the problem is really becoming, you know, as we speak today, it's February 7th, right? Literally tonight by eight or nine o'clock, I would say you'll start seeing women and young boys that are starting to go out to the local tracks in Los Angeles. You know, by the time it's 11 o'clock, you can literally probably count over 70 cars that are willingly lined up, willing to purchase sex from a child or an adult. And it's becoming so bad to where um, local agencies here in Orange County, where I work um, alongside the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force, you know, I had a sergeant who's been in the forest for over 25 years. And he said when he traveled to L.A. recently because they weren't, were in search for a pimp to prosecute him, literally, he said this is the most horrible that he has seen it in the 25 years that he has worked in the field. Wow. Because it, it, it's 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 a growing crime. And um, we're fighting against also, you know, community that's protesting against things that they want removed as far as like funding and stuff from local law enforcement. But local law enforcement are the ones that make the interaction. You know, it's not going to be the community members that's going to try to rescue a child from a pimp. So I think there needs to be more education in that. Um, a huge thing when I went out there a couple of weeks ago, I counted probably about 13 young girls. Um, I had four in my car that I ended up getting access to and tried to take them home. And when you think about a lot of these children or even these young adults choices, they don't have any other choice or any other options. You know, I took one, I took one home and the mother ended up speaking, um, in Spanish, but she basically said, you know, why did you bring this, this bee back to my house? Like, like she don't need to be here. And this is a 14 year old child. And if she doesn't have anywhere else to go, then what else? You know, and I've talked to even 17 and eight, 17 or, you know, fresh 18 year olds that end up out there and they have no other option. It's not that they can't read or write and things like that, because many of them said they can fill out an application. The problem is, is, though, is that since they've been out there as kids, it's 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 no different than what we see in the movies of somebody being brainwashed. Like this is 10 times worse, to be honest not only from experience of being an advocate and going out there and being a first responder, but being a victim, right? Like I know what it's like the most horrific thing is mental bondage than the physical abuse, you know, cause after you've been being in raped multiple of times a night, you know, or experience for over four and a half years, you kind of know how to cover yourself and turn your back and get hit in your back versus getting hit in your face, you know, or getting hit in your chest to get the wind knocked out of you. Like you start learning ways to protect yourself. But the one thing that you can't protect is your mental space. And that's believing everything that this man or woman is telling you you are and, you know, who you belong to and the piece of property that you are. You know, there's plenty of times that I've sat in across the street, whether it was from Disneyland in a motel or whether if it was also the Century Boulevard by LAX. And he's nowhere near in sight, not even in the county. But in my mind, I believe that he was outside side of that door and he was going to kill me if I left. Like that's the mental stuff to sit in court or get arrested and to think that, you know, if I, if I tell, or if I snitch supposedly, or, you know, if I give any law enforcement any information, he's going to come after me or what else do I have in this? So it's a growing problem. I think what last thing that would make it really worse is social media 
today and the internet, you know, it's becoming an invisible crime now. So things that we normally see on the street, you can count probably over a hundred girls if you go out to the local tracks in Los Angeles, but online that's going to happen during the Super Bowl. That's where a lot of the stuff is going to take place. That's hidden. Ori, do you, I was reading, um, that some of the folks, the organizations and researchers, criminologists that follow this, they say that there's actually really little to no evidence that human trafficking um, increases in association with like large games like the Super Bowl. Do you feel like the focus on human trafficking surrounding a, like the Super Bowl is effective or is it like, hey, at least we're at least we're getting the word out somehow, even if it's around this time? Or would you make the case that this needs to be talked about, you know, way more often and not in association necessarily with a sporting event? Well, I believe for one thing, nonprofit is still a way of, you know, of making a profit for everybody else. So, of course, people have to um, do a lot of the educating and a lot of the awareness around these times, because if organizations didn't speak up, then, you know, what are they really standing for? Um, my biggest thing is even a little bit of evidence. Yeah, we've seen a lot of stings and stuff, but in operations that happen around the Super Bowl, to be right. really honest, though, this is pretty much a cover up politicians for a lot of athletes and even, you know, game owners and um, for team owners who we know historically have purchased sex. You know, it's a, basically a, a band aid on the things that we hey, we know the athletes, artists. Many other people are going to come into town and they're going to buy sex and they're going to be in the strip clubs. They're going to buy purchase sex, whether online from children or whether from going to be from adults. And before anything happens, right, like before, if someone gets caught up in anything by law enforcement, let's put a Band-Aid on this beforehand to say that we tried to do everything that we could do. And that's just not for, I believe, the nonprofit organizations, but for a lot of the partners that have, you know, in this, because they do. Like a lot of people that we know historically have purchased sex from children, you know, that are influential, that are in the media, that are, you know, whether it's athletics or whether it's um, in any other type of industry, don't really get punished for the things that they do, you know? So this was just a bandaid, you know, I, I got on a phone call with MasterCard recently, and here is a, a large agency where pornography can be bought, that can be bought by adults who have MasterCards and can watch child pornography. And you have a large company saying they're not going to pull their cards off because someone's going to make money from it. That's where we are in today's culture. It, it, yeah. It's bigger than a Super Bowl, You know, like I said, um, I'm not concerned about what happens on the day of the Super Bowl. I'm concerned about what happened to the victims after, guess what? You get a rush of all these people coming into town, right? Who's going to end up purchasing sex, who are going to go into these clubs. And a lot of these women and these men will get victimized, right? And you make a certain amount of money that you pay your trafficker, right? So let's say your, your average quota is probably 1100 Maybe this weekend of the, Super, of, that, of the Super Bowl, you might make, let's say, five grand. There's an adrenaline and like this is like just like, you know, studies from like endorphins that come from this not excitement, but this lifestyle. Right. Like you thinking that, you know, next weekend it's going to be the same thing and it's not. And the consequences and the repercussions of what we endure as the victims and the survivors when I can't bring in five thousand dollars to my pimp are 10 times worse than what I'll make, you know, or the, the consequences of that night. And that's what I'm afraid of, you know of the after effects of the Super Bowl, right? You're going to have girls that are going to be forced out into LA or kids trafficked into LA, right? And then they're going to come to a city where, guess what? People don't 
in their eyes, people don't care or people's not saying anything or, you know, people are going to turn a blind eye to it. There's not going to be any arrests made. Like, you know, you're going to come into a city and realize, like, even for the traffickers, I can do this and get away with it. Hmm. You know, and that's setting the tone for everything else. Right. So it's the after effects. And the Super Bowl is just kind of a, a large event, but it happens all the time. It's going to be 10 times worse tonight than probably the Super Bowl, you know. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go to home services marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Ori, um, can you share with our listeners a little bit about what you went through, how you went through it? I was reading about your story I'm sure you've shared it a lot. Um, and for sensitive listeners, it might be hard to hear, but I think it's important to to know what happened to you, especially given how young you were when you went through it. Yeah, I was um, 11 years old when I ended up being sex trafficking. And the one thing um, that is really important part of my story and what I always love to share, though, to parents, especially listening right now, is that there is no marker or specific target that traffickers go after. Yeah, there are large studies that a lot of foster youth, former foster youth, um, women of you know of color, um, children that are black and brown are definitely more traffic at a higher rate, especially in Los Angeles, um, children or adults that come from broken homes. But then let me tell you something. The one thing that keeps us all in common is when you're trying to figure yourself out as a child and figure out where you belong and where you fit in. And if you're not getting that attention or that need um, or that sense of love from your home. You know, I have a three year old daughter and I think about how much um, love I pour into her. But I can boldly say and truly say this, that at some point as a teenager, she might feel like it's not enough. And I can surround her with all that. And guess what? She's going to have to take a journey of her own in her life um, that is going to, you know, she's going to take her own life journey. God forbid it, it won't be trafficking. But as a parent, you know, you do all that you can. But because of the Internet, the world still has access to her. Luckily, that I'm much more aware. And the one thing I want people to know is that it doesn't matter of what background you come from or, you know, what type of family you had. Anybody could be trafficked at the right moment at the right time you know, especially being vulnerable um, and then being 11 years old, even though I came from a broken home and I was abused and I was, you know, sexually abused and raped at a very early age. 
throughout my childhood previous to being 11, you know, my earliest memory of being molested was at five years old. You know, I experienced a gang rape at a nine and I never received any um, community resources or access um, like any type of resources. And I think today we're trying to also, you know, continue to have more resources, but my family wasn't supported through the process. And I'm also seeing that now. You know, I have a a nine year old niece that was molested and, you know, you got the system saying, well, how do we know that she's telling the truth? And those are the things that start to happen in this process of you, you starting to believe that, you know, the things that you experienced didn't matter, you know, and um, and a lot of I would say like my red flags in my life was my mother was a great mom. She tried to provide for me the best that she can. Um, But, you know, growing up in poverty and living in an environment that wasn't the healthiest, surrounded by gangs and drugs. Um, my mother was a very sheltering mom. You know, I stayed in church um, every Sunday, went to Bible study, sang in the choir, um, but I was sheltered too much from the reality. And that's one thing I've now taken into my parenting. And as Evelyn gets older, which is my daughter, um, is being open and honest with her about the realities of the world. What really happens when the streetlights go off, you know, at an age appropriate manner. And um, my life for four and a half years, if if any listener, like the listeners, imagine it right now this is the best way that i can picture it because all you're hearing is pretty much my voice right i want someone to think about their normal every single day right now where they're driving to or where they're driving from you know um or wherever they are and think about what they do with their children what they do with their grandchildren or what life looks like for them and my normal at 11 to 15 years old was being raped 7 to 15 times a night that was a normal for me my normal was being abused being molested being emotionally abused um my normal for four and a half years was not playing with dolls or, you know, thinking about what college I would go to or thinking about prom. My normal every single day, the day that I woke up and closed my eyes was making money for someone that I would never see a dollar of. You know, this innocent child that was 11 years old, that was taught to love, that had hope in her heart, that had forgiveness in her heart was, I was completely restructured. And this is the best way I tell law enforcement. I was restructured as if I was a newborn child again, like on how to walk, how to talk, how I would eat, how I would conversate, you know, and there's rules and being in the lifestyle, you know, always keeping your head down, never making eye contact that dehumanizes somebody. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the first time I had ever heard that I was a victim, I was 15 years old because for four and a half years, I believed that that was a choice that I had chose to be out there Mm -hmm. that by somehow default, because I was born in a prison, because I was adopted, because my adopted mother no longer wanted me, and because I was poor, because I've been molested. This is maybe what God at one point had me prepared for. You know, I didn't believe in God. I mean, I believed in God, but we just had a really distant relationship and just didn't have any hope. You know, I'm a firmer believer in Jesus Christ now, but, you know, as far as like just my relationship, you're thinking about surviving, you ain't thinking about no God, you know? And um, that was my life for four and a half years you know, and, and consistently what saved my life though, you know, was the power of unlikely relationships. When I'm actually, I'm actually um, coming out with a training for that, you know, for anyone that works in human resources and first responders, but that impacted my life. People that were willing to fight for me when I, I didn't know how to, and when I wasn't willing to, people that were willing to speak up for me because I didn't have a voice, people were willing to love me when I was probably unlovable and really, really hard to deal with, you know? And um, my life was full of chaos. It was full of, and chaos was my normal. Like think of your normal of what you actually like live through. Like what you deem as normal. Like my normal was abuse and being raped. Like now try to take a 15 year old kid and you think you're going to rescue her. 
right? Like the brainwashing, the mentality of you, a program that you believe is all that you're worth. And when you walk into that McDonald's at 14 years old, and you know, when I walked into that donut shop with hardly anything on and everyone in that establishment turned their noses up at me with disgust and nobody said anything or walking into a grocery store, no one says anything, pulling up to a gas station with my trafficker and no one says anything like, this is a community problem, you know? I, so actually yeah. that's what, that leads me to another question I had. What do you want average people to know? Um, I've seen some videos online about like what, what people should be like looking for. Cause it's not always obvious, right? Like if you're with your trafficker, you might look uncomfortable, but you know, the average person might not be able to, to tell what should people be looking at other than clothing? Like you just referenced, um, you know, is it just, Hey guys, use your, use your intuition. This doesn't look right. Or is there something else that you, you want people to sort of know? I think to be honest, like you said it best, people are not, people think they take it too many layers deep, you know, look for signs of um, provocative clothing, look to see if someone's in distress, look to see if someone's timid, but as a good person, if you are genuinely a good person, or if you are a parent, like I have a three-year-old child, whether if I was a survivor or not, when I go out to them tracks, I know when I can spot a child. You know, and it's it is intuition as much as people, whether you a believer, whether you believe in spirit, whether you believe in stones and rocks and all that stuff, like mm. something in you as a good human being in your heart should say something is wrong. You know, I could see someone in the store that whether if they are bruises or, you know, seems distraught or seems like just something is wrong. Like I could be at a grocery store today and it could be a cashier and I could be like, how are you today? Like it, it doesn't it doesn't take a lot for people to acknowledge somebody to to just let somebody know that, hey, I see you. You know, if you walking out of a store, you walking in a gas station or you even it's times when I've been driving and I can see a, a young girl walking to a bus stop early in the morning, like five in the morning, like, girl, where is your parents at? Or I will literally sometimes just pull up like, hey, you OK, that's it. And I'll be in my vehicle. It's still in drive, you know, maybe on a break. And I'm like, are you OK? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, all right. Like, you sure? And just mm. ask, you know, or, yeah. and if I think something is really, really bad, or if I see her getting into a car or something, then you report something, you know, it really is intuition. You know, it's the signs that, you know, when somebody's not okay, I walked into an airport, prime example, a girl had a busted lip, literally like it wasn't freshly busted, but I could just tell like she was going through something. And I walked up to her and I said, Hey, are you okay? Like, and she was just like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, well, are you here with someone that could harm you or hurt you? And she said, no, but I have no idea where I'm going. Like, and that easily thing, nobody said nothing, not a flight attendant, you know, not the person that's checking her in, not nobody. Everybody just stared at her. And we have to be more like humanize things and be willing to say something to somebody. Like we turn so much in a community of blind eye to stuff, man, because we really believe that it's not our problem. So I think just looking out for some of those red flags that people do say, you know, provocative clothing or, you know, just sometimes even people's demeanor. Like, you know, you never know why somebody might have a bad day. You could be a worker, you know, at a store, a local convenience store, and a girl could come in and maybe be buying completely a whole lot of feminine products and just ask them. Like, you know, it, it's all about conversation, too. Like most times a lot of victims don't want to engage. And sometimes that even says something, you know, right. um, if something looks kind of like just not OK. And you ask someone, hey, um, is everything okay? Like, or just like, how are you? Like, and they don't engage. Sometimes that's a response, you know? Your intuition will tell you though, if I mean, genuinely, if you're a good person, like, if not, then I don't know, somebody else need to look at the red flags, the specifics.
Ori, one more question for you. Was anybody ever held accountable in your situation? So actually, my traffickers didn't end up going to prison for trafficking because a lot of times um, traffickers we know have also previous violent crimes or they have priors, you know, to different things. My traffickers ended up going to prison, um, one of them for another minor, but not for me. Um, The second trafficker ended up in prison for like, you know, uh, possession of sales and things like that. Um, Justice was never really served. And honestly, for me, um, I do have the firm belief that... um, Everything happened in its course the way it was supposed to. Like, I leave that up to God, and I'm definitely stronger than I was then. Um, You know, I've come face-to-face with traffickers now, you know, and I believe, firmly believe that if I came face-to-face with my trafficker today, I wouldn't have any fear in my heart. Um, But no, and but the victims that I've worked with and that I've advocated for and some of the mentees I still have, you know, have had to testify. And when they get in their room, sometimes when you stand in the face of somebody who has been you, who has forcibly just manipulated you too, like even to extent of, we know how love can get, right? Like even as married or single women, like we know how bad love is sometimes like in toxic relationships or like just love, a broken heart. Imagine this kid, this child, having experienced that of betrayal of um, this is the person that the only person they have. And now they're sitting on a stand having to testify against this one person who, you know, in their mind has loved them and showed up for them when the world has shut them out. And that's something really horrific. You know, I've sat in courts with one of my 12 year old youth. And I remember like the way that even the testifying goes, you know, and you're asking a 12 year old child to basically tell you the details of when her trafficker raped her or when a John raped her or, well, how did he groom you? Did he make you have a threesome? Like it gets, it gets, now you're trying to tell a kid to testify that in court, relive your experience with no really support other than me, the advocate, right. Or the nonprofit organization that's assisting her. But then what, you know, you put the trafficker in jail and this person is just, you know, doesn't really receive a lot of resources or the family, you know, you relocate them for what they've known, and it's just a lot of disruption and causes a lot of um, confusion. And and I couldn't imagine being 11 years old, having to sit on a stand and do that, you mm-hmm. know, and and be fearful of my life. You know, I, I got to be truly honest, because I always am honest in the season. I got subpoenaed for court the other day for a domestic violence case because I heard someone being, you know, beat by their their significant other. And at 26 years old, it kind of put fear like, ah, oh, dang, here I go again. Like, you know, having to go to court and not knowing what could happen, you know, and I'm 26. Now imagine someone at 12, 13, 14, or even someone still in their life. So, um, wow. and very honestly, to be honest, um, we are moving. And if I could say this to community members is do your research on a lot of the policies and laws people are protesting. And, and I get it. We want change and we, definitely want to see change in law enforcement and other first responders. But sometimes when we're protesting, we need to be very specific on the things that we want to change. Because when a lot of the funding was cut from law enforcement, like LAPD, it actually cut the human trafficking task force. So a lot of the officers that were working with the youth that could identify or build relationships and rapport with a lot of the women out there or, you know, were doing the investigations, they got cut. You know, so now you have an officers who are new on the on the force or you know, perspectives haven't changed that are now interacting with our victims. And that's a problem, you know? So um, we definitely need to see a lot of more convictions need to happen, man. Like, you know, I'm all for reform, justice reform. You know, I'm a black woman and I understand that 
there needs to be a lot of changes within the prison system. But what I will say is that sometimes people also need to learn from the decisions that they make when you traffic at a child or an adult yeah. and the consequences that happen in their life. You know, you, you should start time for that. Ori Freeman, thank you so much for sharing your story and your advocacy work. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.